Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. One of the things I love so much about this ministry is the chance to meet new friends, and tonight is no exception. Our speaker tonight comes to me through my mother-in-law, and as our story goes on, you'll you'll get to hear about how I actually came to know who Jamie was in the first place. So, Jamie, would you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes, thanks, Jessica, for inviting me. My name is Jamie, and I live in Northern California. I have four daughters, uh, ranging from ages five to twelve, and a wonderful husband who is a rock and quite the mountain man. So we have a lot of fun together. We're pretty busy and I teach as well as kind of part of a homeschool um, charter where I support others as they also homeschool. And so it's really good to be here. It's so nice to actually get to do this in person and I get to see your face and so many of my other recordings have been on a Zoom call. So this is pretty special. So tonight, instead of going through really your entire life story, we're going to spend a lot of time on one particular chapter. Um, But just to set the stage, can you share a little bit about how you met God and how you ended up living in the town that you live in? Yes. Um, So I grew up in the foothills of Northern California, and as a little girl, always loved that. My husband actually grew up about 10 minutes from me, but we never knew each other until we moved up to go to college at Chico State in Chico, California. And at some point when I was in sixth grade, I got to go to a horse camp and that is where I found Jesus because it was a little more than a horse camp. It was also an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. And so that is when I feel like Jesus actually introduced himself to me and I was able to receive him and, and go from there for the rest of life through ups and downs. And he, he really has been there through growing up, the challenges of flying the coop after high school and even through uh, finding my husband and making even the choice of moving up to the town that we moved up to. And I imagine when you met Jesus, you didn't know how much you were going to need him later in your life. No. In fact, um, I used to pray for patience because I knew I needed it. I was not a very patient person. And I remember at one point someone saying, you should stop praying for patience because he's going to teach it to you. <laughs> and, you say that all the time. <laughs> yes. Never did I. Yes. Never did I know how strong of a rock I would need and that I would have. So before we really dive into the main part of your story tonight, I was hoping you could tell our listeners a little bit about the town that you live in, just to paint the picture because it will be so relevant as you tell your story. Yes. So. Like I said, we went to Chico State, and because both my husband and I had grown up in the foothills, when we started our family, we really desired to bring them back up to the foothills. And my husband got a hunch at one point in 2012 to take a look up the hill at a little town called Paradise, California. I'll tell you a little about the sweet town, 25,000 people, but generations. There were There's families with 10 generations that have grown there. It's a, it's a people of pioneers. We celebrate Pioneer Day 
deep-rooted in our history, very close-knit, everyone knows everyone. And sometimes that's hard as an outsider moving up (laughs) uh, as you come in. And so it took a little time for me to embrace the town and for maybe the town to embrace me, but it's because um, it's so tight-knit. It's a family. The town is a family and beautiful. We have been praying, let's let's be in a neighborhood that you want us in, Lord. <laughs> and I didn't get the house I really wanted. <laughs> and then this other one came up and ended up being a wonderful opportunity. We put an offer on it uh, without seeing the inside whatsoever. And it all went through. And then four years later, my in-laws decided that they were going to be moving to paradise and wanted to be really close to us. Uh, so much that they had asked if they could purchase our home and we could purchase the neighbors, but I wasn't about to ask the neighbor. <laughs> so we said, if it's meant to be, she will, you know, something will come up. We knew she had put it on the market the year before. And about a month or so later, my husband went to visit her uh, with my daughter and she <laughs> within minutes said, well, I'm moving to Idaho and I just, I don't know what to do about putting my house on the market. I just I don't want to have to put it on the market. So the rest was history. It turned out she was actually on her knees praying when he rang the doorbell. And, uh, but we had a good year and a half, almost two years of being next to my in-laws on a sweet little cul-de-sac and our girls getting to grow up with them. So at this point in your life, would it be fair to say that things were, I mean, not perfect. Nobody's life is perfect, but they were, they were pretty good. It was the sweetest year and a half of our lives. And we knew it. Not that we knew it was going to change, but we knew it was very special in our life. really didn't get much better. My older girls, their best friends lived on either side of us also. And and we knew it was such a precious time and a precious place to be. So it was, we wouldn't have changed a piece of it at that moment. What a gift. When your life was about to turn upside down, And I know many listeners can relate to being in that really good season and then instantly everything changes. And so can you tell us about the week, the week that everything changed? Yes. So, you know, we're coming in Northern California, we're coming into, it's a dry season and it was also election week. And so we had our, it was the polling day that Tuesday and as I said, getting used to the town, it was still, that was six years into it. Getting to see the town, I feel like the Lord took me on a little field trip. Um, mm-hmm. We got out the Tuesday, that was that Tuesday, the morning before I promised my girls that we would get donuts at Dalio's because if you're in paradise, you go to Dalio's <laughs> and <laughs> that they could get Dalio's if we got out of the house in time for me to vote before the field trip we were supposed to go on. And so we voted, we saw the neighbors and it's, it was, it's Mayberry. If you want to think of a town you can relate to, Paradise was like Mayberry in the mountains. And so it was just this quintessential experience of voting. And then off to Dalio's where this town has time to sit and have a donut at 8.30 in the morning on a Tuesday. And they have time for you. They have time for a conversation. And so getting to see that and and recognize it and cherish it. And then we went on to our field trip, which was studying the history of our community, of our area, looking at the Maidu people who lived here before settlers and before the gold rush. And so also just gain that deep appreciation for how much we appreciated our history. And even after that, the next day, that Wednesday, my girls were at Awana's and my husband got off work unusually early to actually 
see me while we had all of our children away. So it was a free, free date night. And I, I was hesitant. I was like, well, I don't want to spend the money right now. And he said to me, well, when are we really going to have this time to do it again? And the things we say before we know, you know, kind of foreshadowing. So while we were on our date, I received a phone call from someone who was helping us with some damaged and um, destroyed items that had happened at our house. And as I was talking to him, he was apologizing for, for, you know, the books, all the damage that had been done and and stuff that we weren't going to get back. And uh, I made a comment and I said, well, my hope is not my stuff. I said, and it's not like my house burned down. (laughs) And so that's kind of where the evening in my memory kind of lingers. Uh, that was 6 PM on November 7th. And we went home that night and there was so much joy and vision just built up in my heart as I went to bed. Cause over the last two days, I just really seen the deep roots that our town had. And I saw God was wanting to make it healthy and grow up those roots to be healthy. And so as I went to bed that night, as I was praying to God, I was like, I'm in. Okay. I get it. I get, this is what you're doing. And I'm in. And I went to bed. The next morning I woke up and there was a, a strange orange kind of tint to the room. And there was something a little off about the morning, but I went on making breakfast. My husband was getting ready for work. And like many of you moms, I was determined to make the morning count to get the day going off. We're going to be organized. Uh, it's going to be a great morning. My kids are going to be on top of it. We're going to get our schoolwork done <laughs> and we're going into a holiday weekend. And so we're going to do this well. And, uh, I was looking out the window in the kitchen and noticed that there was this huge plume and I, it was hard to determine. It looked like a very vibrant, more of a sunset than a sunrise, but it was in the east. And a very large cloud that I couldn't tell if it was smoke or a storm cloud. Because in the mountains, if you're not familiar with the mountains, you will get huge plumes of clouds in um, the summer and fall that become thunderstorms in the higher mountains, where it was where the foothills. So I, I sent a message to my neighbor because her husband was a fire captain and she said that there was a fire in Concow and Polga, which is another teeny, teeny, tiny town, about 40 miles as a bird flies from us. So in California, particularly, well, all over California, but in my experience, even growing up, there's fire season and you are always on the alert. Your nose is always on the alert. Your eyes are always on the alert and you hear fire trucks. And so need to be aware of where and what's going on. And so I turned on Spotify to listen kind of the, the dispatch, the Cal Fire dispatch, and then got a message that there were people trapped in Concow. And so it was kind of dropped to my knees, let go of the day and prayed. And during that time, I heard on the dispatch radio that there was a call of a fire in the more eastern part of town. I lived on the west lower side of paradise. And so I didn't know if there was arson or just happened to be another fire. Shortly learned later that this was a fire that had been spotting and was moving really fast. And next thing I knew, my neighbor texted me again and said, the hospital is on fire and it's moving. We need to be getting ready to evacuate. Uh, The way our town works though, you, you don't evacuate till your zone is called. And there's 
about 12 to 14 zones and you wait so that our traffic doesn't get uh, clogged and we don't have unnecessary people on the road so the people that need to get out can get out. So you wait for your, your zone to be called and that didn't happen. Within a short time after that, I think it was about 8.30 or 9, my husband called. He had gone to work because it seemed like it was far away and fine. And he called me and said he was on his way home that one of his coworkers' house a little ways from us had caught fire and he was staying home. And so my husband was coming back up to help us get out. So he said, stay put till I get there. And then I was told pack for three days because you're going to be probably not able to probably get back into the area for at least the weekend. So my girls all packed their go bags. They packed their levy that they each slept with and then three days worth of clothing. And I packed their school books because I, <laughs> there is still a determined part of me that <laughs> we were going to get some school done. <laughs> and I grabbed our emergency box. We, again, being in the foothills, have an emergency box that we just had always prepared. And then we grabbed our dog. Um, as my husband got home, we decided that we needed to make, uh, we had defensible space as far as trees went, but we needed to create uh, space, like take our propane tank that was attached to our grill away from the house and make it safe for firefighters um, should it get that far, which we never expected it to get that far to where we lived. As that was happening, the sky grew pretty dark, darker than I would say night because there were no stars. And when the power went out, there were no lights either except for embers coming down about the size of a grapefruit. And so we were moving tires further and further away from the house that were kind of our our spare tires. And my husband was trying to get his kind of old truck that he had built with his dad out of that area where he was putting all the flammables. (laughs) And it was not starting. And he realized there's enough gas in it. We should not take it down the road because we don't want to create a fire hazard. But he thought, if I can get started, I can put it in the garage and it will be safe. And it would not start, even though it started the weekend before. It would not start. And then my neighbor came up because she saw me starting my car, getting ready to go. And she's, again, remember, we haven't had an evacuation order. So she was perplexed as to why I was already leaving. And she said, do you think I have time to grab my phone and my purse? And as she was saying that, her back was to her house and there was a field in front of it. And it went up in flames, probably from an ember. And so as I heard her say that, that's what I saw. And something in me grabbed her in my arms. I hugged her and just prayed in Jesus' name, spare her house. And then we left. She she got in her car and she left. And my husband tried to get it out with a shovel, just try to get dirt on it and it just the wind picked up so much that it was a useless cause and as he looked up there were 30 foot flames coming from the other side the opposite side of where the fire had started so we had knew and that was our one of our evacuation routes so we knew we had one evacuation route left and we had to go and it looked like what we learned later was that it had jumped to another canyon and had come up from the other side so fire was coming from both the east and the west as we left um, so we left. We left the foreigner where it was with all the flammables. And we we began to leave as we got out of our road, to our road, to the main road. It was gridlocked. And we people were kind enough to let us squeeze in, but traffic wasn't going anywhere. And, and there was a police officer trying to help direct traffic, uh, but he was not aware that there was fire in our neighborhood. 
about a hundred yards away. And so I rolled down my window to tell him and he, he went, there was a lack of communication going on. And so uh, my husband was in the car in front of me cause we had my girls in one car and we had our dog in the other. And uh, so he said, follow me. We have to do this. And we went on the opposite side and then people followed us. And we did learn later that it was the right thing to do because, you know, you, we like to obey the rules. Uh, there was blockages in the road to where we, we were just going to sit there the whole time and, and people followed us. And so we got down, we were talking on our, our Bluetooth on our phone and we got disconnected about halfway down. And we're talking a road that takes 15 minutes to go from our home down to the highway. And it took us about two hours to get down. Uh, and we lost connection my guess is that that was about when the cell phone towers kind of were interrupted or damaged. And as we got disconnected, the song on the radio was Mercy Me. And I'll, I'll spare you the, the tune, but <laughs> uh, it says, I know you're able and I know you can save through the fire with your mighty hand. And even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. And I felt like that was the Lord sharing with me right there, like, he's got this even if, and, and to backtrack a little bit, because we knew the flames were in our neighborhood at this point, I called 911 thinking, well, then the firefighters will come. And the dispatcher on the other end said, can you confirm that all of your neighbors are out of their homes? And I thought about it and I could, and I said, yes. And she said, okay, nobody is coming. We don't have enough personnel. We're saving lives right now. And so as we pulled out of our road, there was a reality that we probably weren't coming home to our house the way we knew it. So then when he gives you know, that song at that perfect moment, you just, you know, it's him and you know, he's there and he's near and you're not alone. So we went down, we ended up being, went to the next town, kind of got our minds about us. We heard our home meet it. And then we heard that the fire came through again and it made it again. And then the main came through. We learned that night at about 8 PM after we'd evacuated from the house we evacuated to. As we pulled into the driveway of my best friend, we got the phone call from our neighbor that our, our home didn't make it. So they received us. My best friend received us <laughs> for the night. And it turned into about six or seven weeks. And again, there was that provision that we were okay. We weren't alone. Now, there may be people listening who really don't have any background knowledge about the campfire. Maybe they didn't follow it on the news or, or really have much point of reference. And so just to sort of paint the picture about what that day was like, I mean, that fire moved fast. It was 40 football fields a minute, and it did end up taking 85 lives that we know of. And... Um, yeah, it ended up destroying, I don't want to get the numbers wrong, um, it destroyed 95% of the town. It was it was really unstoppable. Everyone did what they could do, but it was the, it's that moment where there is no file in our brains that can file something like that. And that is where we do, we all have a place where something hits us that we didn't, we never even fathomed to consider could happen. And so there's, we come to places as humans where we do get to a place where we don't even know it's so beyond us. Mm-hmm. A situation becomes so beyond us that we're in utter shock and completely helpless. We don't know how to respond. 
And in fact, your response that moment, as compared to maybe a few weeks later, or a couple months later, may have been very different. I mean, your processing grief and your emotions change. I mean, you're on a roller coaster. You're on a mental roller coaster, an emotional roller coaster, and really even, I mean, let's be honest, it's a spiritual roller coaster. We, we can easily go back and forth between, God, I totally trust you to, God, I'm angry with you. And maybe you can share a little bit about the roller coaster of emotions and how they were not the same from one day to the next. You know, when someone says, you were so strong, I was like, well, you didn't see me on Thanksgiving. <laughs> so, and this day or this day, like there, it is a roller coaster. And that, and I'm so glad that because of that roller coaster, I know God still loves me even when I am mad at him. It rained on Thanksgiving that year. So keep in mind, November 8th. So it was a couple of weeks after the fire and I was, that's when my anger set in because before that we saw, we saw miracles. We saw people truly rescued from the flame. So we, you get the spiritual high because you see where God is in this devastation. And of course, there's also all the adrenaline going through too, but we see all the good. And then we come to the place where now there's that settling place and you, your circumstance hasn't changed, but the adrenaline, everything from it has. And, and you know, God was there. You don't, you know, I doubted times too, cause I, I got mad at him and I said, where and I'm, I'm saying this nicely because I'm, I'm pretty sure there was some profanity in there. <laughs> and he could, he, he can take it. Why now? You know, why is the rain coming now? Why couldn't it have come the day before where our ground would have been damp and just fell apart? And I, he didn't answer. I didn't feel that answer, but I felt sometimes the falling apart lets us come back together again. And when we know we can fall apart and then he has so much grace for us to do that. And it's safe to do that we're able to get back up again then too, but it is a roller coaster and I'm not done with the roller coaster. Mm -hmm. We don't have, our home is not built yet. Uh, we are trying to get back up to live in a trailer with our family of six and that's going to be a roller coaster and, uh, it's okay. I guess that's what I'm learning is it's, it's okay to be raw, to be real, because if we're not, we don't get to heal. Hmm. That's such an important point. I hope every listener hears that not only is it okay to be real, but it's necessary to be real. Just like you said, for the sake of our healing. So, Jamie, what what would you say is the most important truth you've learned in the healing process? What I realized in that moment is that there was not enough faith that I could muster up inside of me on my own strength to walk through it. And yet he just showered this, this faith, there's this faith that came up where I couldn't even know where it came from. And so in a moment where I should feel the least amount of faith because my home didn't survive, um, things didn't work out in, in the way I thought should it, there was this, this faith welling up inside that even if, and there was this, that freedom and truly knowing that no matter where we are, he's enough. Like, and that, and that gave us for each and every step of the road now too, I go, he is enough because now I know what it felt like to know he's enough when that's all I had with him. Everything else was gone. I had my family, yeah. I had my car and, and I had Jesus and he's the one thing that, you know, he tells us nothing, nothing can take that away. You know, it, it, moth can't take fire. Nothing, nothing can take that away. 
That was beautifully said. You know, when you look back and see the footage that was taken of people escaping with their cars, it really is a miracle that your family got out. And I imagine listeners might want to know too, what happened to your in-laws and your, your neighbors? Thankfully, our neighbors all got out and that includes our in-laws. We drove away, they were behind us and we drove away and we actually didn't, we connected over phone, but we didn't see them for several weeks until just before Thanksgiving. And because really our whole community was scattered and displaced, there was nowhere to stay in town. It was a thousand tenants per rental to try to find in the area. And so they ended up in Grass Valley for a good long time, but we, because everything was just so chaotic, uh, we didn't actually get to see them for quite a while, but they are safe and sound. And they've recently been able to move back up to Chico um, in hopes of also rebuilding with us. Praise God. I know that one of the things that we heard about so much on the news is that there were entire families that all lived in paradise together. And so when, when the whole town was suddenly gone, it wasn't like they could go to a family member's home because every family member's home was gone. And this kind of circles me back to really how I ended up meeting you and knowing of you in the first place, because my family, my in-laws are from Chico, which is about 15 miles from paradise. And the fire really came right up to the edge of Chico. And while they didn't lose their homes, they couldn't really be in the area because of the air quality. So they ended up kind of taking refuge at our home in Oregon. So we, we had a house full. And, and as you mentioned, you know, this is November. They were there with us for Thanksgiving. And it was about that time when I learned who you were because my mother-in-law was getting all of the updates, understandably, on social media, checking on friends and family and the news. And we were just constantly, you know, every, every day, every hour sometimes checking in. And you had posted something that was so beautiful and it, and it touched her so much. And she read it out loud to all of us. And that stuck with me. It stuck with me for a year and a half to the point that when this podcast started, you came to mind immediately, even though I actually didn't know your name at the time, <laughs> but I, I knew you'd have the story and the heart to share the story, which meant so much. And so I'd love, I'd love to hear you share a little bit about what it was like when you went back. So if you don't mind reading that post to us, and I know this was written from a very raw place. This was something you wrote a couple weeks after November 8th, after the day. (laughs) So yes, I at this point on Thanksgiving Day, I think that would have been November 22nd. I hadn't seen my home in person yet, but I'd seen pictures because my my husband was so kind uh, when he went up, he did get some video footage and pictures and it was a little easier. We didn't have the, the sounds and the smell and everything. Um, so we were able to take a little bit more. And so those were the images that were in my mind at that point, but this was several weeks into being homeless. And so here it is. I came from a very raw place when I was kind of spiritual high had worn off and the loss was starting to sink in. This is Thanksgiving 2018. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. 
This word goes both deep and wide. Most of my 34 years, this has been a day that I ponder the breadth of my blessings. This year, my gratefulness is condensed but profoundly deep. By American standards, we have lost everything, not just our home and nearly every possession, but we've lost our neighborhood, our town, and our people who have been scattered. What this emptiness has left room for is a deeper-rooted treasure that we've always had, but not known to its full extent. We've lost our geographical community, yet our community is stronger and more wholehearted for each other. Humans have not contrived a word in any language I know for the deep sacrificial love our families experienced these past two weeks. Even the Greek word phileo falls short. Friends have opened their homes to be our home for as long as we need. People have sacrificed money that would have been for Christmas and even their own needs. Friends that geography and time had separated have reached out with intangible ways to lift us out of the ashes and give us hope. Thank you, 1997 Bear River Swim Team, (laughs) high school friends, and aunts and uncles of friends from childhood. There's no way Brian and I can adequately express the depth of gratitude we have, nor will ever be able to fully repay how deep you've touched our souls. I'm thankful to God for being closer than I've ever known in my most terrifying moments. The still, small voice, I am with you. I am with them. The Mercy Me song on the radio as I was driving away from the flames. I know you're able and I know you can. Save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. The love of our God to send his son so that we may have eternal life where we do not need insurance. The promise that he is with us in the ashes and the love of our people are what we can cling to and never lose. That is how deep Thanksgiving goes for me this year. So even though I might not have an appetite or feel happy, I can be thankful in all circumstances by the grace of God. I know that those words touched many people. And I think it's beautiful that you were willing to be open and raw. Sometimes sometimes social media can be a big problem. And this was an example of it being probably a, a great gift to many people who read that because it the emotions and the grief really affected the entire community. I know I know my mother-in-law mentioned that when the fire was over, people weren't greeting each other with hello, how are you? They were greeting each other with are you okay? Is your family okay? And so when you had that moment to go back, what was that like? Shortly after that, we did get um, very short notice that Things were going to open back up, and so we needed to go immediately. And so when we finally got the word we could go back up, my husband had already been there, and we went alone. We didn't take our girls the first time. And it was hard because normally you recognize when you're approaching home. And it was so unrecognizable. It was just this carcass of what used to be our town. And I would see a road sign and be shocked that we were at that point. Like distance had no relativity to it anymore because of landmarks were gone. And um, as we pulled into our our road, there were actually cars that people had abandoned right by our road. And actually were blocking our road initially. And so I just, I thank God that we got out when we did because no one died in those cars, but 
Some people did. There were deaths in cars of people trapped, and people in those cars were trapped at that point very shortly after we left. So coming back, you think you're going to be brave, and and you think you're prepared because you've seen it, and then you smell it, and you feel it, and there was a dry crispness um, in the air, and there's devastation. And I remember walking through our property and that was, it almost looked like moonscaped because everything was so gone. Like a war zone. It was a war. It looked like a war zone. And, um, and even talking to people who've been in war zones, they said, this is like a war zone. And we're looking down, holding my husband's hand and just looking at our shoes. We had our rubber boots on covered with ash and seeing his, his hand in mine and the, the, dark black ground and the ash on our shoes and just thinking I have no words like I don't really know how to describe it but I the gratitude of being able to hold his hand and walk together and knowing again that theme of you're not alone resonated and so kind of from there was like okay take a breath and the next steps are going to be steps up you painted such a vivid picture of holding your husband's hand, which is love and unity and hope and everything beautiful. And in the background of that photo is the ash and the destruction and the, the hopelessness and all of the, all of the negative emotions. It's such a contrast that it, it actually kind of, kind of makes me think of if we ever could take a photograph of God holding our hand in the forefront of the photo where the background of the photo is the broken world. And so I imagine um, if you're listening, you probably have a tissue by now um, if you're <laughs> crying along um, with us, but there, there was really so much to the story of the campfire that decimated the town of paradise. And if you met anyone from paradise right now, he or she would have a story about the campfire and what it was like on that day. And in fact, there has been a documentary just just released called Rebuilding Paradise through National Geographic that Ron Howard put together. And my family and I just had a chance to watch it a few days ago with tissue boxes close in hand. And it really was just such a testimony to the community all the information about the documentary and how you can watch it is included in these episode notes. So circling back to that image of you holding your husband's hand as you're standing on your property, my understanding is there was a gift from God, even in the tragedy. Yes. So in the first image that we received from a friend of our um, ash footprint as it's called now, but of our home in ashes, there was this little speck of blue that could barely be made out in the background. Um, but the keen eye of my husband caught it and realized that if you'll remember the forerunner that he was, he built with his father as a project many years before was left behind because it would not start. And so we couldn't put it in the garage to try to keep it as we thought safe. And he thought to himself, it's still blue. I wonder if it survived. And indeed, as he walked along and came up over this little berm that was there, his foreigner was sitting there, surrounded by all the flammable items that we had tried to move away from the house. 
and it was completely untouched. There was a a rectangular line of ash around the spot where the forerunner was parked, and it went no further all the way around it. There's just no way to explain it except that it was just a precious gift from the Lord. And it really gave my husband a lot of the encouragement he needed because he wasn't sure, can I even, can I even do this, Lord? Can I even start back at square one? And this was just that reminder that he was in control and he had, we had the keys because I just dumped all the keys into my purse before I left. And he put the key into the foreigner that wouldn't start before. And lo and behold, (laughs) it started right up and he was able to drive it back down the hill. Listening to you describe this, it makes me think of the poem If by Rudyard Kipling. And I, I don't have it all memorized and I won't read the whole thing, but there's one line in there in particular as he's describing all of the things that if you can, if you can handle all of these sort of sufferings, one of the lines is, If you can watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn out tools. And that is, that is something so many people have had to do figuratively or literally. Just everything's gone and you're starting over. You know, the songs and the poems and the verses that we keep referencing, they just are a testimony and a reminder that we are not the first ones to to suffer. We're not the first ones to go through this. And no matter what your story is, you are not alone. You know, one thing I've noticed is that when there's a tragedy, oftentimes humanity shows up and we're supportive and the money flows in and people are helping and they're checking in on you. And there's just sort of this great amazing show of humanity at its best. And then the days go by and the weeks go by and it fades. I think it's really important for us who maybe aren't in the middle of whatever the tragedy is to keep that in mind that as much as we need to be praying and serving and helping in the immediate aftermath of a crisis, we're also called to love and serve one another beyond that, whether that's months later, even years later to check in and see what else is needed just to let people know they're not forgotten. Yeah. An easy application that somehow I learned that it's been easy to do that is when you do have a friend who loses a loved one or something happens. It's now that we all have our smartphones and our calendars on them. I putting even just a reminder, because I know we go about life and we do forget and putting that reminder, maybe that, that day that, um, you know, that baby was stillborn and putting her birthday in so that you remember. And it reminds you year after year to just send a heart emoji or something to that person and to, to stop. And it means so much to know that you aren't forgotten. You aren't forgotten. So as we're wrapping up, And obviously your story is not done, but I was hoping you would tell the listeners about a special moment you had with God in the aftermath of the fire. Uh, Jessica, something you said though, first you said, my story is not over. I think that's the thing for us each to recognize. It's, it's kind of story, the semicolon when something happens to us, it feels like the end. 
And, and that's, that's real. And to remember, you know, the story of the semicolon is a period could go there. It could be the end, but there's something more. And remembering that, you know, if you're listening today and you feel like, is this the end? Your story isn't over yet either. And until there's, this isn't my own quote, but something I just heard recently was, if you haven't seen the victory, your story isn't over. But yes, something that as I was reading my Bible, and no, I wasn't Google searching fire or ashes. It was really just, this is where my Bible fell. And so I, I really truly took this from the Lord. And it's interesting because I thought maybe I should speak up and say something. Because uh, let's keep this in mind. I went to church in Chico at the time because our house was so close that there was no point when we moved up to paradise. We loved our home church and we stayed there. Well, our other churches that lost their their buildings immediately that weekend joined in in all the other churches in Chico. Chico did a good job. It was They did such a beautiful job. People were housing people that were strangers to them because there was, it was, everyone was going to have a place to lay their head. And, um, and so we were sharing with our church. And so we were, we were a congregation of, I don't know, I would probably a thousand at that point, half and half and um, half the people had lost their home, including their pastor who preached that Sunday. And I thought, should I share this? And they didn't. And then someone else did the next week. So I saw it as kind of a, maybe a pattern. <laughs> um, but Isaiah 61 said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for God. To comfort all who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities the devastations of many generations. And it really did bring out what I felt in my heart. God wanted me to feel the night before of looking at those deep roots of our history in our town and, and bring beauty to that. And then to see something like this that was intended for, you know, this is Old Testament talking about Israel, but God is unchanging. He's the same today as he was then. And his promises are the same and as the days went on, it was about eight months later, and I thought I'd worked through everything on that spiritual roller coaster because you feel like, well, I'm a lot healthier now than I was a few months ago. But then you go, well, a few months ago, I thought I was a lot healthier, and now I look back. And in this quiet place, when you know when we're still, and all of a sudden we're listening, and we can these these thoughts come up, and I I feel like in a prayer time, I feel like the Lord said, Jamie. Do you believe I'm sovereign? Do you believe I'm more powerful? Well, of course, God. He said, do you believe that I was sovereign or all-powerful on November 8th over the wind that day? And I broke down in tears. I do. Yes, you were. He said, do you, Jamie, do you believe I'm good? Of course, Lord. (laughs) Do you believe I was good? on November 8th. And that's so hard to swallow. It's so hard to swallow. And, and when we're in those places where how could this possibly be good? 
we do know that we have we have a good God. And letting that be be enough. And we're in a world right now where I don't know that anyone would say it's good. Things that are going on are good. And we kind of where I go, there's times where we go, God, where are you? Where 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 was that rain before? Why why weren't you here? Why didn't you stop this situation? You could have, because you say you're all powerful, and I believe you're all powerful, you could have. Um, and you say you're good, and it's really hard to put those two together. It, it almost seems like a um, it's this paradox that is, it's hard for the human mind to wrap around. And I don't know that we're meant to grasp it, but there's hope. Because of that, there's hope. And because he's all powerful, because he's good, there is hope. And we're never alone. You are not alone. I am not alone. And on that note, as we're closing, I know there are listeners who feel that they are alone or that they are forgotten, that nobody gets it, that their story is unique, but you are not forgotten and you are not alone and there is hope. So for all the women listening who might be struggling with believing that, maybe they're going through their own fire in some way. And Jamie, I was hoping you would maybe give them some words of hope and encouragement. Well, it's not my words because it was a woman that came much before me. And many of you have probably heard of Corey Ten Boom. And if you haven't, look up her story. But because she had gone through what I see as an even deeper pit than my own, when I read her story, The Hiding Place, something gripped my heart that helped me. And so I hope I could pass this on because it was strengthening to me. But she says, there is no pit too deep that God can't reach. So no, I don't know where you are. I do know that our God is there. Jamie, would you pray for our listeners? Father God, I thank you that you can take anything. You can take ash, you can take dust, and you can make something beautiful out of it. And Lord, we've seen you do it again and again, and you don't change God, would you share with with me, would you share with each of my fellow women listening to this, God, you know each and every one of them individually, God. You see them. You're with them. Would you find that deep place in their heart that says, I don't know if I can can do this. I don't know if I can face this. Would you show them that you're carrying them through it, Lord, and that you're not going to take it and just carry them through, but you will use it to bring good. You're not the God who just helps us survive something. You're the God that can give us a crown for ashes. And so I just, I pray for these, these sisters, Lord, that that's where you meet them intimately. I pray for you to bring people around them, or maybe they're the person that needs to surround someone and just sit with them. And assure them that this isn't it, Lord. And and without offering verses or, or, or cliches, just, just sit and be and cling to you, Lord. You are enough, and I thank you so much. Amen. Hi again, ladies. So if you've been listening to this podcast for a while now, you probably expected to hear me thank Jamie for her prayer and close the episode. And that was certainly my expectation too. We actually recorded this conversation about a month ago, and I had every intention of publishing the episode right away. 
But God had a completely different plan. And just as I was ready to post the episode, it disappeared off my podcast editing program. Completely gone. Hours and hours of audio work totally erased. And while part of me wanted to scream and then curl up in a ball and cry, I have walked with God long enough to know that he would do something with this delay. So as I started over and the days and weeks went on, I realized that this episode needed to be published right now and not any earlier. With the wildfires raging right now in California, there are several Paradise residents who are experiencing some PTSD symptoms. And so perhaps this is the perfect time for listeners to hear Jamie's story of hope. As she quoted from the Mercy Me song, I know you're able, and I know you can, save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. And wouldn't you know, God had another reason to delay this episode. With the extra time, we were able to coordinate a special gift for Jamie and all of you listeners. Two beautiful young ladies have prepared to perform Jamie's song, that Mercy Me song that played on the radio as she drove through the flames. So it is my pleasure to introduce McKenna and Sayla. Sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. And right now, right now I'm losing back. I've stood on this stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be alright. But right now, oh right now I just can't. It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able and I know you can Save through the fire with your mighty hand But even if you don't, my hope is you My hope 
with you alone I know the sorrow and I know the hurt Would all go away if you just say the word But even if you don't My hope is you alone Girls, that was amazing. And I just have to brag on them really quickly because these two ladies prepared this within about a week. And uh, McKenna, who was playing the keyboard, just taught herself the song after listening to it. So thank you ladies so much for putting in the time to prepare this beautiful gift for Jamie, for all the Paradise residents, for anybody anywhere who has ever lived through the tragedy of a fire and for anybody who's going through a metaphorical fire. And I hope that you could hear in Jamie's story that Jesus is enough. And it's so much more powerful and meaningful to hear that coming from a woman who pretty much lost everything. And she can actually say, yes, Jesus is enough. And so in closing, Jesus, I want to come directly to you and just thank you for your perfect timing and your perfect plan. Thank you for Jamie and her story. Thank you for McKenna and Selah and their musical gifts. And would you, because you are able and because you can, would you save through the fires right now? Would you protect towns from destruction, save homes, and most importantly, would you save lives? Walk with us through our fires and please be with each listener right now in whatever season she's in. I ask this in your precious name. Amen. So thank you, ladies, for listening. I hope you've been blessed. And we hope to have you back next week for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast. A ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women. Women.